Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Like I said, people would try to come at me and call me a feminist like that's a slur mm-hmm. or a bad word. I'm fine with that because, mm-hmm. you know, I care just as much about who doesn't like me as who does. And the people who have a Beautiful. problem with that, Beautiful. those aren't the people I want to like me. I don't want you in my corner. I don't want you to feel like I'm right because you're not even somebody who my values align with anyway. And wow. so for the people that attack me about certain things, good. Ooh. I'm glad that means I'm doing something right and I feel good about it. Brothers and sisters, my name is Kirk Franklin. And I come to give you good words. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, Oh man, I'm in the greatest city on the planet today. It's a little chilly, it's a little nippy, it's a little windy, a little rainy, but the sun's out, the green's out, the uh, love is out, and we're recording live today at the Paley Center for New Media in New York City. That's right, New York City. And I could not be more excited. This is an incredible moment for me because I have an incredible, beautiful, talented, gifted guest. And she's from New York City. It's in her blood. She just built a home in her childhood community. That makes me jealous because I wish I could do it too. But she's a New Yorker. And she's a pretty, pretty big deal. Known for her long-running viral podcast, Lip Service, and is one of the hosts of the nationally syndicated morning show, The Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. So you know who it is. You know where I'm going. And she's been inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. I'm telling you, she's got security all outside by the doors because that's a big deal. Because when you get inducted, they give you like five bodyguards for life. So it's incredible. She's a philanthropist, entrepreneur with a whole day name for it. I'm telling you, New York City, this is their daughter. And when you hear her talk, you'll be able to understand why. Please, ladies and gentlemen, please help me show some love. For the beautiful, the talented, Miss Angela Yee. Oh my gosh. That was an amazing introduction. Thank you, Kirk Franklin. He did lie about one thing. I do not have five security guards. Four. Okay. She's got four. She's I have one. Four. Coach Jesse is here with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. What's love, Coach Jesse? Listen, I am so glad that you made time for me. No, thank you. I was excited when I got the email. I was like, Kirk Franklin, what's me on his podcast? Yes. I said, everybody else was busy. No, 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 no. <laughs> he didn't ask me to bring no Bible or nothing. I didn't, you didn't bring no holy water or nothing. <laughs> you just come and be you and we have this conversation. So I'm letting you know, this is a great moment for me to be in your city with you. Thank you. And I love what you're doing. I know this is your second season. And I was saying off camera before we started, I was like, how do you like being on the other side of things where you're the person interviewing people? Yeah. Well, I'm nervous interviewing you because this is what you do. So it's like it's it's almost like you are interviewing your teacher. (laughs) It's because your teacher is going to give you a great one is back. But what I do want to ask you more than anything is you being from New York City. 
And we know that it's just a magnet, right? Everybody wants to be here. Everybody copies the city. Everybody wants to mimic what's been birthed out of the city. Why did you stay? Well, I was blessed to be able to stay, I feel like. I know doing radio, a lot of times people have to leave New York. Mm -hmm. And New York is the number one market for radio. Yeah, And so to have the opportunity to stay here, you know, I started off as Sirius. And that was nationwide, but it was based in New York. And then I had an opportunity to be on the morning show in New York. And I was like, that's a blessing because I had an offer in Philly and one in Atlanta. Really? And New York came last. And so I was looking at apartments in Philly, like maybe I'm going to move to Philly and do mornings there. A lot of people will tell you in radio, they've had to move other places in order to Mm. be able to land in New York. And some people might never get that opportunity, but it was really a blessing for me to never have had to leave. Wow. And how old were you when you first started doing radio? 28. Really? Yeah. So it was a little later because before that, I had a background in marketing. I was doing other things. I was an assistant working in the music business. I know a lot of people, like by the time they turn 28, they feel like, oh, it's too late to get started doing Mm. something else. And even older than that, but that's not true. Now, do you feel that all of that in your process was important for you to be able to get the language. I always feel like if I would have been on the radio earlier than that, I might have not lasted. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why? Because I was a lot more reckless when I was younger. You know, I always feel like if social media was around when I was younger, I might have been way too wild. And so by the time I got a little older, I think I was a lot more intelligent with the decisions that I was making in my life. And, you know, the first thing I did when I started to work for iHeart was I knew I wanted to buy a house. And so I was really saving my money. But before that, when I was younger, anytime I got a check, I spent it. I was, you know, yeah, I was just having a good time. Yes. But that's what we do, though. But, you know, (laughs) I I also felt like it was a good thing I didn't have too much money because I don't know, I might have really went crazy if I had the ability to. Yeah. That is interesting to hear that you had this moment where when you first started, you were just kind of just living at the fly of it. But now you are this incredible entrepreneur. When did that change for you to be able to have the discipline that we know it takes to be a successful entrepreneur? Because you got like 75 billion, you know, businesses, you you know, you know, you sell juice, you sell coffee, you you sell fingernails, you you sell sell earrings, you sell ears. I I mean, you just, you know, I'm laughing. No, she don't sell real ears, ladies and gentlemen. But she is brilliant (laughs) even when she communicates to me her love for entrepreneurship. So who taught you? how to be disciplined with your money and the opportunities you were getting. I think a lot of that has to do with the people that you're around. And a lot of what I learned is, you know, my best friend, we were roommates in Brooklyn and she was buying a house. So when I saw her going to look at houses and I was with her, it really did inspire me to feel like I could do it because we went to college together. We were roommates and then she did it. So I was like, okay, this is something for me to aspire toward. And I'm the type of person I've never been jealous of my friends, Mm -hmm. but you want to have friends that you are inspired by. Yes. And you don't always want to be the one that has everything either. And that's something that you have to realize that everybody's dependent on you. It's got to be a good balance where you have friends who you're in a better position to help them, but then you also have people around you where... 
they're in a position where we can, you know, help each other or they can help you. Wow. And so I do feel like it's a balance of that needed. I don't always need to be around people that are leveled up above me. And I mm-hmm. also want to make sure that I'm reaching back to people who I know I can help. And so I think being around the right people, even me learning about finances, a lot of that had to do with me having a show on Sirius and bringing in like a financial expert. Um, really? That made me realize things that I needed to do to plan better for my future and to pay attention to those conversations. Sometimes you might think it's boring, but you can learn a lot from it and be like, maybe they're right. I can put a little bit of money away. And now it's so much easier with so many apps yeah. you know, that you can use. And so there's apps that I use to invest in the stock market or to put some money away for the future. And it's real simple and it's money that you don't notice. Because I used to feel like I have student loans, I have mm-hmm. rent, I have bills to pay. I'll never be able to save any money for anything. And that's a really bad way to think. Even like Roundup features where... Say you spend a dollar eighty, and then twenty cents goes into they round it up for you, and so you don't even really notice that money missing, and then it starts to add up, and you're like, okay, I'm a little confident, and I can try wow. a little more. Wow! And so you were learning vicariously through all of the platforms you had. When, yeah. when you had a guest come, you were really being uh, intentional about really trying to understand what was happening. You know, like that takes discipline. Yeah, and it, it takes also, you have to be humble enough to sometimes to know what you don't know. And sometimes... Say that one more time. Say that one more time. That was a good nugget. I, I'm not going to let you <laughs> I said you have to be humble enough to know what you don't know. It's okay to not know everything and to also feel like this person knows a lot more about this than I do. And I've definitely reached out to people to have conversations with them offline about things. I remember Don Poo, when I saw everything he was doing with the franchising and the restaurants, mm. before I opened the juice bar, I reached out to him like, hey, would you mind if we meet up? And, you know, he owns Brooklyn Chop House. Mm. And he was in the music business and he's from Brooklyn. And he used to wow. manage like Foxy and Mary J. Blige. And he used to own a club in Brooklyn called Rain. After I met him, I was like, can we just have a conversation? I'm thinking about opening a juice bar in Brooklyn. And I just wanted to get some advice because that is one of the smartest things that you could do. Look at somebody who's done something successfully that you're interested in and then have a conversation with them. And you can learn so much just from having a conversation. And I don't have high expectations. I don't need you to like always talk to me or give me your resources. But just to get some knowledge, I think is important enough. I got to ask you with that. Do you feel that our community and those that are successful, do you think we're doing that enough? Do you think that we are passing it and and moving it forward just with information? Because you're right, that knowledge is so powerful. And we know that the other cultures and other races, they are intentional about spreading that knowledge. I think we do it a lot more um, than we used to. I know that there's a lot of different people who are now in this financial wellness space. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that there's people who I've worked with when it comes to nutrition and making sure that you're doing the best that you can when it comes to that. And politics, you know, it's just do we listen enough to? Uh, because sometimes you have to seek out the information. It doesn't just fall in your lap. And so I also feel like we have a responsibility. People will talk about, for instance, with politics. These politicians don't do anything for us. I voted and nothing changed and it's all still Mm -hmm. the same. But what are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so I feel like we do have a responsibility. Like, are you going to these town hall meetings to express yourself? Do you know who's even your local elected officials? Mm -hmm. You know, you can't complain about things not happening for you if you're not making them happen, too. That's good. That's good. And that's a big mental shift to be able to do that. Yeah. It's because sometimes the task can seem so daunting. 
Right. It's like nobody owes you anything, that but you true. owe it to yourself. And so I think we have to be a lot more intentional. You know, I have a book club and I was doing these in-person book club meetings before the pandemic and they were like town halls. And I was like, people need to come out and people need to read more. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. and there's audible books now, too. So you mm-hmm. don't have to actually read it. But true. there's true. so much knowledge out there. There's everything available at your fingertips. And so you can't say, I don't know. You can find out. Do you think that it was hard for people to take you serious when you started to try to gather the information and you wanted to be a serious businesswoman because in a society that is very misogynistic and that is very, very much patriarchal, right? Do you feel that it was hard for you to be taken serious because you come in as a beautiful woman of color Like, was it hard to be taken serious trying to get all this information in this world of men? Uh, Just like, how was that process for you? I think especially when I was younger and new in the music business, I remember working for Wu-Tang and I was the person that was like kind of the point person for everything. Hold on. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. To some of my listeners, (laughs) let me explain to you about Wu-Tang. Okay. (laughs) Wu-Tang is not. The five heartbeats, they are not commissioned. They are not the whinings. <laughs> <laughs> Wu-Tang is a group of individuals, some guys named Method Man, uh, the, the RZA. Oh, dirty bastard. Can Old, you say that? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> there was an individual in Wu-Tang Clan <laughs> named Old Dirty Bastard. Not Bishop Old Dirty Bastard, not Apostle. His name was Old Dirty Bastard. There's so, no father to his style. <laughs> so you got to understand when she says that she worked for a rap group, you got to understand the context. They Nine are, guys. They are legends in the hip-hop game, but I just wanted to say that to some of my <laughs> sister Jenkins, yeah, who may right. not know who that was. I just want sister Jenkins to know. <laughs> so don't be trying to go listen to their music, sister Jenkins. If sister Jenkins watch Power, she know Method Man the lawyer. <laughs> yes, yeah. And she probably think he's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she probably think he, sister Jenkins, they said, ooh, Praise the Lord. Look at Mr. Tickow. You know, but uh, share with us just what that was for you. You know, with me working with them, I think sometimes we would be on the road. And if people had to have, say, come in and they wanted something, they would always look at me as like I was just like a groupie or not even working there. But I always also knew that at some point they have to talk to me, you know. And so people might treat me a certain way, ignore me. A lot of times if I'm the only woman in the room, guys will come in and say hi to everybody and not even say anything to me. And that used to happen to me all the time. Really? You know, sometimes people just kind of like discount what you bring to the table. And I do feel like when it comes to men and women, even to this day, it's harder for women to talk about our accomplishments for some reason, because we try to like downplay what we have going on. Or if somebody gives you a compliment, you're like, oh no, this looks terrible. Oh, this old thing. I think maybe society makes us feel like not to be boastful or if we talk about our accomplishments. I don't know what it is. Like even I went to go see The Woman King Mm -hmm. just recently and people Mm -hmm. were mad that the movie was The Woman King. Like why women got to be a king? Why can't you be content with being the queen? And I'm like, what is the big deal? You know what I'm saying? Even today, people will insult me on social media by calling me a feminist. And I'm like, why is that an insult? Like, Mm. if you're a feminist, that just means you want equality. I want to make the same amount of money you do for the Mm. same job that you have. Mm. Mm. And so it's just something I think that is still an ongoing thing, especially in this music business. Mm. 
Mm. It's not the same for wow. us and the experiences that we have. Well, and you know, because I was raised by a woman, I was raised by an older woman, I have a sensitivity and a respect for for leadership of a woman, you know, like I would much rather follow the leadership of a woman because I think that there's a soberness in their decision making that often men don't have. So I am a fan of of female leadership. I think it's powerful. Is I think that it is very intentional. We need a woman president. I think we need a woman president. <laughs> I think we need a woman everything. <laughs> but thank you for that because I wanted to know, did you get some of your lessons from your mother? Yeah, you know, I think I learned a lot from my mom. She sacrificed a lot, I think, to have me and my brother. What's your brother's name? Brian. Brian. He's a year older than me, a year and three months. So we grew up very close together and like real fist fights and everything. Are you serious? That's funny. You know how that is. My mom is really smart. And she didn't end up going to college because she had us kind of young. My brother, she had him when she was 19 and then me right after And so my dad was always like the breadwinner. She stayed home for a little while. And then she did end up going to work when I was old enough, when we were in elementary school. And I see a lot of women do this, like kind of sacrifice some of their dreams and goals because they started a family or they got married. And I think that's a decision that you have to make for some people. And listen, raising kids is a hard job, you know, that you never want to take for granted. And she did a great job with us when we were younger. And so she's worked for New York City Transit. She's only ever had... Like that was her job ever since I was in elementary school. And she still works there now. And then she also works at this store called Eileen Fisher. So she does both of those jobs. And she works like seven days a week. I told her because her birthday just passed. I was like, Mom, take the day off. You know, I want to take you shopping. And she was like, I can't. I promised somebody I would fill in for them. And I'm like, tell them you can't do it. She's like, no, I already gave my word. I'm like, at least try. But that's kind of how I am, too. I have like a real sense of obligation. Mm. If I say I'm doing something. Me too. Me too. Right. And sometimes it's like you are at home like, I really don't feel like doing this. (laughs) But I said I would do it. And a lot of times it's really hard for me to like say no. And then once I say yes, I'm all in. You know, and sometimes you put a lot of those things ahead of yourself. And my mom does that, too. Like she has a really huge sense of obligation. She's a real moral person. My mom doesn't curse at all. Mm. You know, I think she probably slapped me once growing up. (laughs) Well, you know, that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Because most of our people from the diaspora, right? Your mom being from the Caribbean, Mm -hmm. they were introduced to a lot of moral compasses through sometimes... European religions or, right. or like European theologies like Episcopals and Presbyterians and Methodists or Seventh-day Adventists or Jehovah Witness. <laughs> Those are some of the leading uh, denominations and ideas of theology all through the diaspora. And so I would love to know um, with your father also being Chinese. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, you got to tell me, <laughs> how did this Chinese man... A bag, my mom. <laughs> yeah, and this Caribbean woman, like, were they at, like, a Chinese Caribbean club? No, <laughs> they worked but, at a department store together in Brooklyn. Oh, see, like, I was imagining them, like, at a club that's playing both kind of music. <laughs> so they just hooked up, but they were working together. They never really told me too, too much. I got to ask them more details. Because I feel like my mom said my dad was dating some Puerto Rican woman before her, but Uh-oh. I got to double check that. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, 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 but uh-oh. I feel like my mom was like innocent, you know, because my grandparents were on my mom's side. First of all, they were super religious. Like 
when they lived in Brooklyn, we were at church every single week. My grandmother had her wig right by the bed. That was, wow. and she was always really sick. And so the she only had her time wig she went right by the bed. Yeah, every time the little styrofoam yes. head with the wig on it. So <laughs> yes. the only time she really went out was to go to church once a week. And so we had a two family house. So my grandparents really watched us a lot growing up. But she couldn't even get out the bed, really. So me and my brother were just going crazy. (laughs) And she would just be yelling, like, what are y'all doing out there? Wow. And my grandfather, he actually was like a missionary. He would really travel to other places to try to convert people. Okay, okay. when he moved back to Montserrat in the West Indies, he would send letters all the time, like, are you and your brother still going to church? Your father's a heathen? Because my father would never really go. So <laughs> he would, he would be like, yes. And now your mother's turning into a heathen, and he would send me a Bible and a check every year on my birthday. <laughs> oh, my goodness. See, these stories are amazing because now you see why we are living in this postmodern moment where so many people are walking away from religion mm-hmm. is because their introduction to religion was kind of duplicitous. Like, there were certain levels of sometimes manipulation and kind of hypocrisy in the way that people were introduced, you know, and some people were scared into their faith, right? So how was it for you? Like you said, you went to church. What kind of church did y'all go to back then? So we were in Brooklyn. I just remember we had to go to Harlem. It was never anywhere to park. So all the cars would be double parked. If you got there too early, you'll get trapped in. <laughs> ah! And it was like an all-day thing, you know, every I'm single week. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Every single week. And when we would be in Montserrat, actually, I like going to church there better, but it was no air conditioning. And, you know, it was so hot. It's <laughs> good church, though. That's good stinking mustard church right there, boy. So I did enjoy that more. But I think my mom and my dad weren't so into it. It was more like we had to go. So it wasn't any other conversation other than you got to go to church on Sunday. What kind of church was it, though? Baptist. Baptist. (laughs) That's fun. Now, was it the kind of Baptist where the people would shout? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, and then How you stand old? up and sing, and then you in the book trying <laughs> yeah, to read the lyrics. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's like, okay, repeat from the top. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you, and did it scare you the first time you saw somebody shout? No, I wasn't really scared. I was always entertained by everything. I know you were. You know, when I was young, I didn't have a lot of fear. I wish I would have did a lot more when I was younger, because I feel like as we get older, we're so scared of things, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and so... I think when I was younger, like, I wish I would have taken advantage of a lot more things. Mm, Even, like, traveling is a little scary. Like, I wish when I was in college, and if anybody's going to college or kids are in college, I wish I would have done a semester abroad. I think that would have been a great time to, like, go and learn another culture because there's nothing that educates you like traveling. Wow. But, you know, what's interesting, well, I want to come back to the statement about culture, but do you subscribe now as a grown woman to any particular faith in your life being raised like that? I don't. I mean, look, I I feel like this. I thank God every day, and I'm very intentional about thanking God when things are going well instead of begging for things Mm, (laughs) when I need them. And so every time something good happens, I'm like, thank you so much, God. And I feel like there's a lot of times that I've been really protected and things that have happened in my life that have been like, I know God did that for me. Mm. Like, you know, I've been in situations where Things have just really fallen into place and mm-hmm. aligned for me. And I feel like that was God, like, looking out. And I would be like, okay, yeah, I yeah, see yeah. you. And I can see on your face that the sincere space No, for you. absolutely. Oh, no, 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 no. It's very obvious. Just watching you, I can tell that, that you really connect with that. What turned you off the most about organized religion? Um, <laughs> you know what? I was saying the other day, I got to go to church again. Because I think going, that whole process of going to church. I'll watch online sometimes. Who do you like to watch? I look at, of course, you know, Bishop T.D. Jakes. And I feel like that's 
Yeah, he's dope. He's <laughs> Everybody's <dope>. go-to. <laughs> you know, because I like those powerful sermons. Like, are you a Mike Todd fan and those kind of guys? And I'm going to be honest. I don't know enough. Gotcha. You know, I feel like it's a time thing for me, too, because I'm always working and always busy. And there's a church on my block actually, where I gotcha. live. Gotcha. And you know, in Brooklyn, there's churches everywhere. And America. so it's hard to know where do you go? Like, yep. which one yeah. do I even want to go to? And sometimes yeah. I can walk into church and I feel like a bad person because I haven't been there in mm. so long. And, yeah, And you shouldn't. I know. You shouldn't. You going once a year don't make you no different than somebody that goes every Because they used Sunday. to say when my dad went, they'd be like, lightning gonna strike. Because um, <laughs> he would only go, it was like a funeral. So they would always be like, your dad's in church, lightning about to strike. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That is, listen, you know, see, these are the things that we've got to deconstruct because this is just foolishness that so many people have been programmed and forced to think about Western Christianity. Like, it is so disappointing when I hear these type of stories because there's so many beautiful things about faith. You, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And you know Pastor A.R. Bernard? I love him. Yeah, I want to go to his Love church. him. Great dude. And I think that you would really enjoy. Like, it's a dope place. You can wear your sneaks. You know what I'm saying? You can just be you and do you. And I think that we've got to stop making it a fashion show and a lottery. You okay. know what I mean? And just make it a place where people can come and just be comfortable to be broken and be human. And so I love Handy's type of stories. As a matter of fact, I was going to ask you about this later, but in the space of faith, is I want to ask you a question. You have a podcast. Mm-hmm. And someone called the podcast Risky, or should I say Risque? Right? Have you heard it? I have seen snippets. <laughs> I have seen snippets. Uh, what is it called again? Lip service. Lip service. Uh, Which for, is a very clever play on words. I just. Wow. Wow. It is. Okay. Right? Well, as I just caught, just, <laughs> she said it, and I just felt the lightning hit me. <laughs> but I've been married 27 years. I fully understand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, can you explain to people that may not know what the podcast is about? And then I want to be able to ask you a question in the context mm -hmm. of, of this conversation of faith. So I started lip service when I was actually as serious. It was a show that came on once a week. And then it turned into a podcast later on when I left Sirius to come to iHeart. But it is about sex relationships. It's supposed to be more intimate conversations where people discuss things that they don't normally discuss on other platforms. Got it. So now I'm going to ask you a question. One thing that I've seen, especially as people that call themselves people of faith, right? And as you start to see uh, just the data and the information that's coming out now about uh, more divorce in these evangelical communities, more marital challenges in these environments of faith, it's because it's happening more than ever. One of the biggest things that I've noticed is that a lot of times people sometimes got married for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. they, they got married because they didn't want to live in sin and they didn't want to be doing wrong sexual. But with sexuality being so much part of the human construct, I've always been a little confused at why we as a faith community don't have more healthier conversations about sexuality since everybody's having sex because if you got people in church, that means people having sex. Right. If we exist, somebody has sex. If you're in church <laughs> and there's people in church, somebody somewhere has some sex, right? But when you talk about the health of relationship and marriages, it, it seems like it's still, even in 2022, it is a distant conversation about healthy sexual development and conversations within the framework of your faith. Like when it comes to having intimate pleasure in these healthy relationships look like where people don't feel like you're being carnal or you're being hypocritical or mm -hmm. less godly. And so I would like to know from you, from somebody that is not a prisoner 
from church culture because you're not speaking from someone from the culture. You're speaking from somebody that's free to be able to just to be able to have a conversation about it. Why do you believe that healthier conversations about sexuality are not happening in the framework of people of faith? I believe that people think certain things are so taboo. And so people are scared to talk about things that they like or things that they don't like. I feel like there's a lot of judgment based on that. And so people are scared to have these conversations. You know, what made me realize how important lip service was for people to be like, I have no one to talk to about these things. And so when I listen to you guys talk, I know I'm not alone in feeling this way. Also, sometimes people don't like to admit that their relationships aren't perfect. And a mm. lot of people try to put forth this like our marriage is perfect when in reality, you guys aren't even sleeping yeah. in the same bed. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that we continue to try to show a poker face about things that millions of people are going through? I feel like we're so programmed and brought up to not want people in your business. In mm, the bedroom. That's good. And so, that's good. listen, and that's fine. If you feel like I, there's certain things and aspects I need to keep to myself, but sometimes that's not healthy because you keep things to yourself. You're scared to even talk to your partner about it. Yeah. And yeah. that's when it really becomes an issue. If you guys can't even discuss things with each other. Yeah. I know somebody who's married and there's certain things that she's like that she's never told her husband because she's scared that he'll view her a certain way. If he knows that she likes these things. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. That is heartbreaking to be in, in a relationship that you're saying forever to. And there's a part of you that person doesn't know. Right. It's, that's very disappointing. And and so we can see, right, that there's such a rise in these relationships not working. Yeah. And so what advice could you give someone who is trying to make sure that faith is a major construct of a person's relationship, but also this openness. Because I have daughters, mm -hmm. and as a man, I'm not empowered, nor should I be, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to give a, women a key to be free to communicate, also in the space of faith. What would you advise women listening right now that want to hold on to a faith construct that they subscribe to, mm -hmm. but also to be free to be all that God created them to be without the judgment and the hypocrisy that often they feel from a religious community. I think that honesty is important, and I think you only owe anything to your partner. So you don't owe it to anybody else in the religious community. If you and your partner are honest with each other and have an agreement about what it is that you want to do and you both are fine with it, then you should be okay. Like that's for you to determine for yourself what your needs are, bring that to your partner and also be open to hear what your partner has to say. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about that. I feel like we all bring baggage and things into yeah. our relationship based on our past experiences. Yeah. And to be able to have those conversations of why you might feel this way. And if you guys don't agree on things, well, how can you compromise? Yeah. I also feel like there's a certain freedom in being able to discuss those things with people because yes. it can help someone else. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of it is also, if you do want to discuss things, it's also how you approach it and how you say things. You don't have to be, you know, super blunt about everything. It's just what your level of comfort is. And so even on my podcast, we deal with people's levels of comfort. If we feel like you're not comfortable discussing things or if we feel like you're in a space where you want to just give it all, we adapt to that level. Yeah. And for the sake of relationships, I think it's very important.
that you cannot be committed in a relationship and they not have the full space of you. And so therapy is important. And that's why it's so important to marry or be in a relationship with your best friend. Right. Like, you know, like Tam is my nigga, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so you got to be in relationship with somebody that you can keep a buck with. You know what I mean? My and friend just, told me the other day, she was like, I knew that I love this guy because we got drunk. I got up in the middle of the night and peed on the floor. There you go. That's love. And he was like, that's love. That's amazing. Don't worry about that's it. That's love. <laughs> when you pee on the floor as a woman, that's yeah. love. And I need for the saints to know that you need to go back and read Song of Solomon. If you ain't read Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon is sexy, it's freaky. <laughs> he talking about her lips and her breasts. <laughs> and, and thank God for both of them. All right. Amen. I'll keep <laughs> Hang tight, family. With that, we're going to take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. And let's get back into it. So uh, I want to also talk about you being such an advocate for giving women a voice. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that you do on so many levels that just speaks to all of the areas of a woman when it comes to health, when it comes to empowerment, when it comes to leadership. Did you see something in your life that made you so passionate about pouring back into women. I think that it's a lot of experiences that I had that I wish somebody would have been in my corner or had a conversation with. I've never even had a mentor. And so for me to be able to have this platform, I feel like I do have a responsibility. I know sometimes people will be like, I'm not a role model. You know, I'm just this, I'm just that. But I feel like having a responsibility, you know, to people who are like me, for women. And listen, it doesn't matter to me. Like I said, people would try to come at me and call me a feminist like that's a slur mm -hmm. or a bad word. I'm fine with that because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I care just as much about who doesn't like me as who does. And the people who have a Beautiful. problem with that, Beautiful. those aren't the people I want to like me. I don't want you in my corner. I don't want you to feel like I'm right because you're not even somebody who my values align with anyway. And wow. so for the people that Ooh. attack me about certain things, good. Ooh. I'm glad that means I'm doing something right and I feel good about it. Ooh. Yo, she just put her foot on y'all necks <laughs> with these cute shoes. Who are shoes by? Oh, these are Chanel. Huh? Say it one more time, daughter. <laughs> say it one more time. She tried to say it humble. These, these are, are Chanel. Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, you know you got your foot on that neck with them shoes. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Right before we move from <laughs> it, since I opened up talking about Solomon and talking about how even in the Bible, there was a comfortability about talking about sexuality. I'm telling y'all, 
If you want to get it popping, you may want to read that book of Solomon tonight. You know what Sounds I'm like a new movie come being on, made. Come on, come we know on. you produce a movie. So. Hey, man. I don't know if I could produce Song of Solomon. Why not? They don't want me to do it. They don't want me to do it. <laughs> baby. I, baby. Listen, let's pitch this baby, idea right I'm going to have the Saints turned up <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to play Solomon. Uh-oh. <laughs> listen, so um, I want to talk about the conversation of sex and hip-hop. Mm-hmm. In my era, it was Trina. Right. It was Lil' Kim. And they still here, you Foxy know, Bro- which oh, we love. Still killing it. Still killing it. I mean, and they both look amazing. You know, sometimes I do the Lil' Kim dance in the mirror. Okay. I'm by myself in my pajamas. <laughs> sometimes when I have my onesie on, <laughs> I got some milk and cookies. I, I, I try to do Lil' Kim dance. What is your feminine view? And there's no judgment here. It mm-hmm. is just really me wanting to continue to learn and just to continue to be engaged in different perspectives. So it's a free space, right? What is your view on the evolution of the liberty that women have discussing who they are, what they desire, what they enjoy versus what it was maybe 20, 30 years ago in hip hop? What's think- your view? I think it's great. I think there's a wide variety of things. I said the other day, man, you know, like I love listening to the City Girls and Lotto and Megan Thee Stallion. And there's a lot of things they say that I've never like been like that, but I enjoyed the music because it puts me in a frame of mind like, yeah, I'm going to just spend his money. And, you know, but it's, <laughs> it's all just music. You know, it's uh-huh. fun. And I feel like guys have always been able to say whatever they want to about us and take any liberties and be degrading and do this and that. And we took the power back in the music to be able to say Boy, whatever we want to Boy, have you about taken... ourselves and say what we want to say about you. And so... Have you taken it back, sister? Yeah. You, you guys have really done a good job taking fun. it back. fun. That's like fun party <laughs> club music, you know, and then we see the city girls and people get wiped up. Hot girl summer's over. And so everybody's trying to settle down. <laughs> Do you feel that there should ever be a counter voice or... Do you feel that as women today, that it should be whatever empowers them to be their best selves? I think that it's we're all really complex individuals. And so we evolve, we grow, and we also one day might feel one way and one day feel another way. Mm. And we need music for all of that. Mm. And so I feel like there's all different types of voices. I love the fact that there are so many women right now. Yes, I feel yeah. like there's never been this many women rappers like all going at the same time. And so that's exciting. Like I love Bia, you mm-hmm. know, like I already named Megan Thee Stallion, the city girls. I like Dochi. I love listening to like Amaretta, mm-hmm. all of them. And so it's really an exciting time, I think, for, you know, hip hop and for women. And so I feel like we get that. It's just some of the more popular like party songs might not be reflected, but even just like with the guys, it'd be like, oh, they just rap about negative things, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. It's just people have a whole catalog, and one day we might want to get you to swipe your visa, and then the next day we might be in love and catering to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very complex. <laughs> very complex. <laughs> with your visa. No, I'm, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's good. Touche. You said you threw that in there. As somebody who is a fan of music, and as a fan of hip-hop, and you've heard all the different narratives that have come from some of the most leading voices, why do you feel that maybe some of the other voices may not get as much airtime or just much uh, uh, attention? And I'm not saying that that is right or wrong. I'm just really wanting to learn from somebody who's been in it more than me, somebody Mm -hmm. who's done it for a living. I've had a chance to be 
just a person on the outside being a fan of hip hop and just being a fan of our culture and how we lead society with whatever we birth as black and brown people. I think things change now. A lot of times people would blame the record labels for feeding us like what they think that we would want to hear. And so I think it's different now, though, because so many people are doing things with no labels. Yeah. And being able to be on streaming networks like radio is not really about the playlist anymore because people can make their own playlist and listen to what they want to listen to when they want to listen to it. So it's not like your song got to be on the radio you know, in order for it to happen. And I feel like there's a lot of artists that are top tier artists. And those are the ones like, look, J. Cole has always, you know, and look at how well he can do. He can put no features on an album. He could not promote it, not do an interview. He'll let you know. (laughs) But even like for you, like for Kirk Franklin, you know, to be in this space that you're in, people might have told you, well, this is not a lane that's going to be lucrative for you. And for you to really set the bar for other Artists and for labels to say this is lucrative. You know, look at Kirk Franklin, a platinum gospel artist who's selling out arenas. That's a huge deal. Y'all see how she did that? Y'all see how she did that? That's that (laughs) journalist in her. That's that radio person. You see, you see, see producing I, movies for lifetime. Catch, y'all didn't Christmas catch what she movie coming out. Y'all you know? didn't catch what she just did. See, that was genius what she <laughs> just did. She flipped it just for a brief moment, just to remind y'all of her skills. Okay, now we're gonna go. <laughs> but you know, but it's true because a lot of times people will try to tell you yeah. that you can't yeah. do this or yeah. this isn't gonna make money, and it's up to us to really prove them wrong. And so it's up to people and fans to show us what we want to hear because, you know, you'll get in certain situations because it's profitable and it's a business, you know, it's not the music philanthropy, it's a music business. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And there's people, listen, who have lost opportunities because of the content of their music or things that they've done in their real life. And I feel like, especially now, people are paying a lot more attention. Like a little baby did a song you know, and he did that during the pandemic and he was at the George Floyd protest and that Brilliant. was a huge Brilliant. song for him. Brilliant. And it was from his heart and he wasn't trying to be a political yes. activist, yeah. but that really connected to a yes. lot of people. So I feel yes. like you can't just look at it as, you know, this is what sells and this doesn't. You just don't know. And sometimes you have to take that risk. And if it's hitting, it's hitting. I want to ask you, where were you when you got the call for The Breakfast Club? Oh, so for, you know, it's crazy. When I got the call for The Breakfast Club, I was leaving a meeting um, with the head of, for Radio 1, they were trying to hire me in Philly. And I was walking from the meeting back to my car in New York and they called me. They didn't tell me it was going to be The Breakfast Club, but they said that there's an opportunity for me in New York on Power 105. Really? And so I had to actually turn down the job in Philly and hope that the one in New York worked out because it wasn't immediate. It was, we have this opportunity, we're interested, are you interested? Let's have a meeting. And so when I was in the meeting with Philly, they were trying to make me sign on the spot. You know, we don't sign things without a lawyer. So I was like, well, let me think about it. You know, I'm going to send it to my lawyer. Let's work it out. And then I walked back to my car. I felt like people talked to each other because they must have known or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're totally right. People do talk to each other. Yeah. So did you know that? Charlemagne and Envy were part of this idea? That was not right to- away. You know, actually, I really did not know until we signed the contract. Radio is such a secretive business. Really? And so when they sent me the contract, I remember that it was a Thursday because that's when my lip service show came on Sirius. And so I would go home after the morning show and then I had to come back to the city to do my show at night. So they sent me a contract that morning and they wanted it back that day. 
And that's right. how radio works. And I'm like, hold on, my lawyer has to look at this. Like, yes. I can't. And I also was trying to get ready for my show at night. And so they actually waited in the office all night till I got back to Sirius to send it over after my lawyer read it. But I just remember that because there was a morning show in place already. And so when they hire you, they can't give you too much notice because they don't want people to find out because that means somebody else's position is being taken. Mm, makes sense. Makes sense. So tell me about the first day that <laughs> you three were in the same room. How was that? Like, did you guys know of each other? We all knew each other <clears throat> okay, already. Okay. And so our first day being in the room together, we had to do these mock shows first before we actually started on the air. But I had to give my two weeks notice as serious. And I thought they were going to just let me go, but they did make me work the two weeks. So I was doing both jobs. Um, for two weeks. And so we had these mock shows and we spent a lot of time together. It was like us going over things, recording these shows, going back and talking about it, coming up with ideas for segments. You know, the first time we were all in the room together, it was to come up with the name of the show. And how long did it take? I think we did it in a couple of hours, but some of the names they were coming up with was like terrible. Tell us some. <laughs> Tell us some. Well, one of them was the big three. <laughs> and, you know, that was over with because the big three only last for so long. Um, somebody, I feel like it had to be Charlamagne who said Illuminati in the morning. I was like, why would you want that? That sounds name? like he was saying. Yeah, I feel like, like it had to saying. be him. <laughs> and then so finally. I don't know who came up with the Breakfast Club. It might have been our program director at the time. And then the next job after that is to make sure that we can use that name. Okay. Right. Okay. So, bef and they don't want it to get out because then people try to like buy the mm -hmm. IP and then, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, you can't get at the Facebook page. And as a matter of fact, I think our Facebook page, somebody did take it. Really? I mean, and The Breakfast Club is a popular movie, too. So Yes, yes. It was a matter of even knowing, is there another show that we can't use that name? Because I had to go through the whole process just now for my new show, you know, Way Up with Angela Yee. That was a whole process. And we're going to talk about that because that is coming at the final curtain call <laughs> of The Breakfast Club. Well, The Breakfast Club will still be on... Really? Yeah, they're going to hire uh, two new people. Okay. That's the plan for the okay. Breakfast Club. Okay, okay. Once I leave. And so okay. my last day is before Thanksgiving. And okay. then I start my new show in January. And so I'll have time to prep for that, but also have vacation. Beautiful. When did you guys know that Breakfast Club was a hit? Like, <sighs> like to know that its impact on culture was exactly that. It took a couple of years because we really did almost lose our jobs. The, people did not think it was going to last. The ratings were not good at first. Mm. And part of that was, you know, New York was a very hot 97 place. And mm. so people were used to going to that station. People still to this day, yesterday, somebody was like, I love you on Hot 97. I was like, <laughs> but, um, wow. you know, so I think. It's hard to reprogram people. You can't assume that just because you come out with something everyone knows. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why we do promotions mm -hmm. and we had to do billboards just to let people know we were even there. And then it takes a while to get that synergy together where you feel like you guys are flowing and the segments are right and you know when to jump in. And so it took a long time. And I think there was a couple of big moments that saved us that got people really tuned in. What? What? It was like a Ray J uh, phone call. <laughs> Okay. Where he called in um, from Vegas and, you and know, what happened? he had gotten into it with Fab. And so, you know, that's when he called up. He was like, I got an indoor pool. I got an outdoor pool. 
And, you know, it was something about him singing at Floyd Mayweather's house. So that was a big <laughs> moment. Like, you could see the numbers spiking, uh-huh, up, uh-huh. you know, when that happened. And for some websites, I know Rap Radar were like, that was the biggest story they had that year on their whole website. Really? And so sometimes it could be one thing that can change the trajectory. And I think we had some other pretty big moments. And we did a lot of stuff online. Are we finished or are we done? <laughs> that was a big moment. Where does that stand? <laughs> that might be our most popular moment ever. Uh, and that was, to be clear, like, that interview didn't even happen. It was two and a half minutes. Amazing. We could see he was, like, mad outside the studio. <laughs> How could was, you like, see that? Because he was, like, it? pacing back and forth. He just looked mad. He looked mad all the time. But of... he was pacing back and forth, like, he <sighs> was about to go in the ring. Are you serious? You know? And so when he came in and sat down. Did you have any concerns? Um, I didn't think anything was going to happen. I've never felt like something was going to happen. You know, I never felt like anything would get physical in the studio. I just was confused. And I also, Mm -hmm. me, I'm trying to do my job. I'm like, you got to have great interviews. (laughs) And I had like, uh, you know, I had been in conversations with Birdman. At that time, I was also managing Jay Electronica and Birdman was actually wanting to sign Jay Electronica. Wow. So we had been having conversations about that. I'm just trying to imagine cash money with Jay Electronica. Because he's from New Orleans, too. Is he? Yeah, he's from Magnolia. He's a wordsmith like that. Yeah, and so... Jay is a wordsmith. And he loves Birdman. I remember one day he was walking past, um, I forget what label it was, and he saw Birdman outside. I don't think Birdman knew who he was. And he went over to say hi to him, and Birdman just was like, hi, and kind of brushed him up. I know it hurt his heart when Uh that happened. But then he did end up, you know, wanting to sign him. And then I also had met him on other occasions, Chanel, who was signed to Young Money. I hosted her mixtape, and then I went to her mixtape release party, and Mm -hmm. he was always really nice to me. And so that's why I was like, did I do something? Because I know sometimes on our show, I'm probably the nice one. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not a really negative person. So I know I've never said anything negative Uh about Birdman. So I was, and he said, oh, Tria, y'all. And I was like, now, wait hold a on, minute. Hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, ladies and gentlemen. Now I get roped into hold, this. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, ladies and gentlemen. You just missed, you just missed what she did. That was kind of classic. Please, please do that for me one more time. <laughs> what did he say to you? Oh, chill, y'all. Ah! And I was like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, so last one, though. Last one. Uh-huh. What's the ranking for this one? Drake? <laughs> yeah, Soldier Boy. When Soldier Boy was trying to prove that he was better than Drake, <laughs> how did that go for you? I think that was hilarious. Soldier Boy definitely knew he was coming up there to have a moment. And okay. so he's good for that. Like, so, he knows how to so market. So he was prepared. Like, I'm going on the <laughs> Breakfast Club. It's going to be legendary. You know, everything Soldier Boy does has got to be legendary. He had the right headband on. It was too big for him. But, yeah, yeah, it was but, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen a headband kind of lean like a hat. But, you know, it it was a moment for culture, man, and your contribution to know that you're going to still be feeding the culture with your new show. Yeah. Congratulations. Tell me about this right here. I'm so excited for that. And I just want to shout out to Thea, who, by the way, I, I think I can say is a huge fan of yours. Oh, wow. I done seen Thea at so many Kirk Franklin <laughs> concerts, dancing and giving praise. That is so dope. Thank you for that. Thank you for so that. So shout out Thank to Thea. I was with her earlier this week, and I told her I was coming to do your podcast. And she did a little <laughs> gasp. And I was that like, yes, hilarious. Thea, calm down. That I thought is... she was going to show up. But she said to tell you hi. Tell I said hello. <laughs> she was like, Kirk got a new album coming out. What's 
going on? No. And she was like, because I know he did the Maverick City. I was like, okay, uh, girl. <laughs> but um, I love it. I she, love it. I'm, I'm sorry. They want to know who Thea is. Oh, Thea is my boss at iHeart. And she's like, you know, I mean, I don't even know what her title is, but she's like the boss boss. <laughs> Thea is our boss. And, is you know, and she wasn't always our boss, but when she came, things really did uh, change for me. It's nice to have like a black woman mm. in the building because I feel like, you know, it's easier for me. Let's just say that. Like, it matters a matters. lot for me to be able to have somebody who I can talk to about things. And even if she doesn't agree with me, Thea will listen. And she'll tell me if she doesn't agree with me and we'll go at it. But at least I feel like I can do that. Yes. There's been times that I've gone, you know, with previous, where I feel like I don't even want to come to you. I just give up. Mm. And you never want to feel like I just give up because it doesn't matter, mm. you know? So for me, we had been having conversations already because I already knew... You know, my contract was up in December. I still hadn't signed on. Mm. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, if I wanted to still stay there. We had been having conversations about me, like, having my own show, but they wanted me to stay on The Breakfast Club. Okay. You know, okay. and have my own show. And I felt like that was a lot. But the way that I am, I was like, I'll do it because I know eventually I'll be able to slide off. And mm -hmm. I'll make it so great that I can leave and they'll want me to. Mm -hmm. And so that's mm -hmm. how I look at things. Like, just put me in the door and, mm -hmm. you know, I'll mm -hmm. open it and close it. Beautiful. What's the name of <laughs> the show way up with angela yee <sighs> yeah and it premieres when uh, in january congratulations yeah. congratulations she cried when she told me though she was like i have to talk to you in person and it was a saturday and i was like uh-oh like, she came to the crib no i went to go meet her in the okay. city and okay. i was like uh-oh i don't know what this is about but my agent called me who's also amazing heather cohen she called me and she was like listen thea wants to meet with you she was like I can't tell you anything, but I can tell you it is a good thing. So wow. she didn't want me to be nervous because I, I was nervous. Like, why does she want to meet me? Listen, I would have had gas the whole way. Yeah. I smell it now. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. God bless you. You are amazing. You are amazing. <laughs> thank I'm very you. proud of you. I'm very proud of what you are continuing to do for women and what you are continuing to do for the culture, for the community. It's beautiful, man. It's, it is beautiful. I appreciate what you do for shoemakers, because I know you've made some people a lot of money. <laughs> Listen, uh, I try to just put my money back in the economy. <laughs> 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 I'm a giver. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's your time. That's your time. No, but I am just really excited about everything, and the fact that you came down here to be with me. I mean, you... I'm just honored you that you even asked me. No, and it's been brilliant. Like, did you enjoy this? Was it was Cool. Yes, it was amazing. I listened to your Tamar Braxton interview. I know that was the um, mm. first one you did. And I really love Tamar Braxton. I saw her at Essence Festival. She was like, girl, I'm coming to do lip service. Oh, See, my gosh. Good balance oh my gosh. there, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so how did I do today? Like, from somebody who does this every day, like, give your boy some pointers. Like, give me some notes or something. You did a phenomenal job. I mean, first of all, you have an edge because you're Kirk Franklin. So, you know, people will come on here and be a lot more open then there mm. might be somewhere else because it's an honor to sit down with you. And I think that helps. Did you, you think know. I was going to judge and be too christian -y? No, because mm -mm, judge not lest ye be judged, Kirk. And, you know, <laughs> you didn't want me to go in my files. No, <laughs> and pull out my mixtape. You didn't want to pull out my mixtape. My son put out on me. We didn't want that. <laughs> I don't want no smoke from No, but I, I know. Wanna... I also know your heart. And I know that's not the type of person that you are because, mm. you know, you don't want me to call Tammy and be yeah, like, come all. get your boy. Not at all. It's because she'll cuss me out, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I definitely didn't think that. 
Yeah, and I think people also know your intention, and intention matters a lot. Wow. And I don't think anybody would come here thinking that you have bad intentions mm. when you speak to them. And then you got your research, and you know I'm a big fan of research. Yeah, so man. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. Too. No, 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 no. I appreciate just the legend that you are. I, I mean, you're in the radio Hall of Fame, which is. Yo. You got like 30 Grammys, so I appreciate it. I stole <laughs> half legendary. of them. And Awards, BT, all of those. Well, a lot of those Grammys, I steal them. Like what I do is I, I go to the Grammys and I wait for people to go pee. And then and they got we, your name on them, though. <laughs> well, it's, I got a homeboy that <laughs> he can make my name and put them on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please, 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 please help me thank an incredible disruptor. Right? She is blazing a new trail for women and for voices and for the community. And I'm so proud of her and I celebrate with her what she's going to continue to do for all of us. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone in the audience, please show some love for the beautiful and talented Miss Angela Yee. Thank you. <laughs> So thank y'all so much for listening to Good Words, man. I hope you are enjoying yourself. I hope you're man, enjoying the journey that you're taking with your boy. And if you are, please do me a favor. Leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Can you do that for me? I'd appreciate it. And don't you forget, you can never go too far or you can't come back home. Good Words with Kirk Franklin is a collaboration between For Your Soul Entertainment, Sony Music Entertainment, RC Inspiration, and something else. Produced by Janicia Francis with senior producer Danielle Jones-Wesley. Associate producers are Danya Abdel-Hamid, Rachel Chodar, and Kyra Asabe Bansu. It's executive produced by Ron Hill, Reese Brooks, Sarita Wesley, Tom Koenig, Hybrid Agency, and myself, your boy, Kirk Franklin. This episode was mixed by Calvin Bailiff, and special thanks to Charlie Yador and Steve Ackerman.